politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen on this fine Tuesday, March 29th to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another day of independent conservative talk because we are independent given that we have two political parties that are more of the same. It's just that one party is more for the current thing than the other. And in this case, the Republicans are more for the current thing. They are more emphatic about supporting the corrupt regime in Ukraine, getting more people there killed, sucking us in, destroying the buying power of consumers for sanctions that are just meaningless. We always knew this would head towards diplomacy. It's just a matter of how quickly and Republicans dragged it out. While meanwhile, we have people under duress, the discrimination. I have a crazy story of people being denied kidney transplants, kids being taken away for not getting shots. There are so many important issues we have to deal with. Crossing a million border incursions, less than a half a year into the fiscal year. I mean, I could go on and on, but on all the major issues of our time, elected Republicans, if you think about it, are actually to the left of your average Democrat voter. I say average who's not involved in politics. We saw this in the Florida poll with the anti-grooming bill barring teaching of sexuality to young children in, in Florida public schools. That bill was supported by Democrat Floridians, 52 to 36%, yet we can't get such a bill passed in most Republican-dominated legislatures. So I want to talk about that today, how, again, across the board, it's already the end of March. Most legislatures are going to wrap it up soon for a whole nother year. In most states, you can't even introduce new bills. We've barely accomplished anything. Now, we will have on a legislator from Kansas who is making some progress on some medical freedom. And it demonstrates that the difference between success and failure is literally a hairline. If you get enough focus, it's all about focus on the right issue at the right time, you could catch lightning in a bottle and we could do a lot. But if we're just going to be a bunch of obsequious Republicans and be captive to the Fox News narrative and and news storyline of the day that has nothing to do with the most important issues that we could influence and we could affect, then things are just going to get worse and worse no matter who wins. It's focusing on the right legislation, the right issues, the right primaries. And I I, want to start in the general election too, running candidates as independents. This is where it's at. If we don't focus on that, what do we get? Well, we get what we have in Idaho, which I want to talk about in a moment. Today, we're sponsored by Birch Gold with inflation at 40-year highs. And it is here to stay because of what the government's doing, the monetary manipulation, the spending like crazy. You have to protect your savings now and hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold Because our government is sabotaging the value of the U.S. dollar, Birch Gold is the only company I trust and recommend for precious metals. They will help convert 
an eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by real gold. I actually just did this because I owed some extra money. Um, so I always put it into an IRA, but typically I put it in the stock market. Why do that at this point? With thousands of satisfied customers and A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to help you protect your savings to do so. Text Daniel to the number 989898 now to get a no-cost, no-obligation info kit. It's a comprehensive guide that reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can buy them under an umbrella of a tax-sheltered account, especially now as you complete your taxes for last year. Um, so text the word Daniel right now to 989898. Never play again in the casino of the stock market. So if you remember last year, there was this story of a man, actually several people from Christ Church, September 23rd, 2020. They were arrested for gathering as a church choir outdoors because they didn't social distance and wear a mask. Outdoors. We, we forget that this was going on. And again, it wasn't like those frantic 15 days in March, April. This was September 23rd. This was months after we knew the fallacy of, even if you agree with all this, the outdoor transmission and masking and everything, this sounds very Australia, right? No. This occurred in the city of Moscow, Idaho. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, Moscow is a college town, so it's run by Democrats. But again, the governor is Brad Chicken Little of Idaho. That's what a living nightmare Idaho was. Yet the state has failed to pass a single significant piece of legislation reversing the current tyranny, much less immunizing the gem state from this happening in the future. They have four to one majorities in the legislature. They have a Republican governor, but he is literally a Democrat. The one bill they've managed to pass, you know, the Senate leadership blocked almost every good bill, nothing on treatment, nothing protecting people who are prevented from getting kidney transplants. To this day, the Idaho Department of Health is promoting masks and shots, just like HHS, just like a blue state. But they passed Senate Bill 1381. It would have barred businesses from mandating employees get the clot shots. And it only would have done it for a year. And I think that's a very good bill. It's watered down, and, and it, it doesn't even apply to, you know, obviously anyone who's under the CMS mandate, the federal mandates. It explicitly exempts it, so it doesn't challenge the feds. But it's, if you're a private business that's not under the feds, we're not going to allow you to do it in the state only for 12 months. Okay? Just, just for a year. Passed the House 4523, the Senate 2411. So it only passed about two to one. Not four to one because there were a lot of rhinos that joined with the Democrats. And yesterday, Governor Chicken Little vetoed the bill. And he waxed poetic about, oh, I'm vetoing this legislation because I'm a lifelong advocate of limited government. I don't like telling businesses what to do. So this is a man who literally had a ban on assembly. You know, have right to assembly in the Constitution? He banned assembly 
for, I believe, 10 months it lasted. It lasted in Idaho longer than it lasted in um, in uh, my home state of Maryland. This man shut down businesses, had business capacity, church capacity. They were arresting, you know, again, a church church service outdoors outdoors and he'll say well i didn't do that yeah but you had cities doing that and you didn't stop it so you are for you want to talk about limited government this was literally the soviet union and this guy has the nerve to wax poetic about limited government but again it's not just hypocrisy As we've noted throughout this pandemic, none of this, the private sector would never have germinated this germ of tyranny without the government grooming them. Brad Chicken Little and his health department groomed the state and the businesses like a a child molester does throughout 2020 that this is what you need to do you need to do the social distancing and the lockdown and the capacity and the masking and then the shots so he's like well i never mandated it yeah but you did have mandates on get-togethers and gatherings and all that stuff that greased the skids for businesses to think this is where the liability is this is what you do to be in in the right with the state so in order to equalize that you need Equal and opposing force. And then you have the feds downright mandating it on some people. So the the slate is not even. It's not a free market. We've been saying this all along. It's similar to saying you oppose the Civil Rights Act. Okay? And the reason why people supported it, despite the fact that typically you can't tell a business what to do, is because the government spent decades boxing blacks out of their ability to have property rights and engage in commerce. So in order to even up the score, you need to use that power to meet the power that government wrongly used to begin with. And I think a very nice touch on this bill is it doesn't do it indefinitely so as not to start a president indefinitely, you know, but it does it for 12 months to get it out of the system because it's only in the system because Brad Chicken Little and his health department support Fauciism in the state of Idaho and he thinks Idaho's California. I've been consistent in stating my belief that businesses should be left to make decisions about the management of their operation employees with limited interference. Really? Wow, that really comes as news to all those people that were regulated. And then when Janice McGee, the lieutenant governor, is running for his position, challenging him in the primary for a second term, when she got into power for a day, because, you know, according to state law, if the governor leaves for a day, the lieutenant governor becomes acting governor, and she barred mass mandates on children, he reversed it. So he got up there in the same veto statement. He said, oh, you know, I've been very limited. I've never had mass mandates. What are you talking about? You allowed every city. This is the game they play. They allow every city to do it. You're governor. You're in control. Don't give me this. Oh, the cities control it. 
Moreover, their health department, which is a part of their administration, are downright pushing it and pushing the pseudoscience to this very day. His health officials are just as illogical, immoral, illegal, and inhumane and unscientific as Fauci and HHS are. And he says he's for a limited government? Until very recently, kids all over Idaho were in masks. He is for a limited government. And yet he limits your right to breathe and free restriction of movement. But this is what we have in Idaho now. So this is a big deal. SB 1381. SB 1381. There's enough Senate. They need 24 votes in the Senate to override the veto. They had 24 the first round. So hopefully it won't peel more off. In the House, we're at 45. We need 47 to override. Um, one, there, there's two people who are absent. My understanding is one is a co-sponsor of the bill, and for whatever reason he wasn't there, so he should be able to vote to override. It's 46. And then there's 12 remaining Republicans who voted no. So one of those 12 needs to be picked off. If you're in Idaho, call them now. It's SB 1381. But this is what we have. It's truly unbelievable. Now, by the way, one of the things that we couldn't get past was early treatment. Preventing doctors. We're going to have later on a Kansas senator who passed a bill like this. We couldn't get a bill passed, you know, making sure pharmacies don't discriminate and practice medicine and and that doctors are able to practice medicine. So you got to take your own health in your own hands. That's why I support Z-Stack from Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. It's a formulation of... An immune-boosting supplement that includes zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D. And it comes from the doctor who had one of the original protocols on COVID. Z-Stack has been scientifically formulated. It's GMP certified. It's produced right here in the USA. Now more than ever, you have to take control of your health and your family's health. So go to zstacklife.com slash Daniel and enter promo code Daniel to get a discount on your first order. Um, You know... Another important thing to point out here is that in 2021, Little vetoed a bill that limited his emergency declarations to a generous 60 days. Okay, very modest bill said you only have 60 days and you could renew it with the legislature. And then also the governor can't change any laws during that declared emergency. He vetoed that bill. And he's looking us in the eye and saying he's for limited government when he thinks he could be a king? Are you kidding me? He also vetoed HB 135 that session, which, among other things, would have prohibited the governor from quarantining the healthy, shutting down businesses and churches, and banning assembly. Okay? I'm for limited government, but I support banning assembly, banning businesses, banning churches, quarantining the healthy, but I'm pro-business. What in the world? This guy's retarded. And then also, let's not forget the slate is not clean on anti-discrimination law. You can't discriminate against someone because they have AIDS. So certainly you shouldn't be able to discriminate against someone who doesn't have a disease. Especially, and just for not getting Pfizer's poison, when it's proven not just to be poison... But now, according to the UK data in some age groups, it has negative 368% efficacy against infection and transmission. 
And again, the slate is not clean. Is is Brad Little going to stand up against OSHA and ADA and all these labor laws? Suddenly he's laissez-faire when it comes to the most immoral, illogical, inhumane thing an employer could do in violation of the Nuremberg Code. Suddenly then, you know, you know let's say the left starts a fad that every everyone going in front of for an interview has to have sex with the employer or something. It's, it's part of the interview. Let, let's say the Department of Health groomed society to do that. And then we would want a bill to, to block that. We say, well, I'm, I'm for limited government. I don't, I don't like telling businesses what to do. ADA 36.201, no individual shall be discriminated against on the basis of disability and the full and equal enjoyment of goods and services without retaliation or coercion, covering any condition, whether physical or mental impairment, wherein mere presence does not constitute direct threat, even if contagious or non-contagious with transmissible, transmissible diseases. That's directly in there. That's if you have a transmissible disease. You cannot be discriminated against. That's ADA. Do these laws suddenly not apply? Truly disgusting. But this is why we can't have nice things. Republican governors and, and Republican officials are to the left of Democrats, Democrat voters on, on, on given issues. That's the reality. It's disgusting. You know, I, I wanted to go into this a little bit. Just when we talk about, oh, it's the, you know, I don't like telling the private sector what to do. But what do you do if there's a one big public-private governor-government partnership promoting this stuff? There's an article out in Politico. As President Joe Biden granted his science office unprecedented access and power, one outside advisor to that office has attained what staffers describe as an unusual level of influence. A foundation controlled by Eric Schmidt, right? He's the CEO, former CEO of Google, has played an extraordinary, albeit private, role in shaping the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy over the past year. More than a dozen officials in the 140-person White House office have been associates of Schmidt's, including some current and former Schmidt employees. So... We have one big incestuous cesspool. Science is owned by corporations, and they work together with government to set these policies. I'm just giving you one example of the fact that this is not natural that a bunch of, you know, mom and pop businesses or mid-sized businesses are like, yeah, you know, this might be a good idea to make sure everyone has these shots. No. It comes from the same source, and it's not going to end with COVID. It's going to be with the social credit. Are we now going to say, oh, working with government, they're boxing out truckers or anyone who donates to a cause they don't like, they're discriminated against. You're boxed out of banking. You're boxed out of food. You're boxed out of uh, kidney transplants. Oh, a private business can do what they want. So you could shut down a business, you could destroy a business, you could regulate the free movement, you could regulate the human breathing. That's not a violation of principles of limited government. But somehow, you could work together with government to groom the society to where businesses will then violate individual rights and human rights. And that's totally okay. 
We can't have Republicans like this running red states. It's truly disgusting. And speaking of disgusting, you know, I got this text from someone in Michigan. And truly, truly, truly heartbreaking. I have a church family that needs our help. Their daughter, whom they actually adopted from Ukraine, desperately, desperately needs a kidney. They've exhausted all options after traveling around the country trying to get a doctor to allow her a kidney without getting the COVID shot. And everyone in the family, so everyone in the family has to get it. Okay, regardless of their danger, regardless of the efficacy, regardless of the side effects, regardless of their immune status, everyone has to get it. And they can't find a doctor to do this. Okay, this is a 50-state problem, and it has not been solved. I mean, the New Hampshire House passed the bill on this. Uh, in Tennessee, they did a couple states here and there, but most of them have not dealt with this. Idaho certainly has not dealt with it. One of the hospitals tipped them off, tipped off Child Protective Services, and they will medically kidnap her and force inject her so she can get a kidney transplant. I might have the family on later this week, but this is what's at stake. And what are Republicans, what are they concerned about? So yesterday, yesterday, Joe Biden released his FY 2023 budget blueprint, which means nothing. I mean, it's just, it's a meaningless document. And, you know, you can imagine it's full of communist. Full of communist. What was Mitch McConnell's concern about it? This is from Newsmax. McConnell rejects Biden budget as inadequate on defense. It didn't spend enough money on the woke military. We talked about this last week. We have a, a woke and broke military, green energy, social engineering, gender-bending, anti-Christian agenda, and now kicking out the best soldiers for an immoral, inhumane, Joseph Mengele, Pfizer mandate. And they want to just throw more money at it. They're not spending enough money. That's all they care about, probably for their defense contractors. On this vein, there's another article I want to share with you from Politico. Rand's latest stand undercuts GOP's Ukraine message. They're talking about Rand Paul. Republicans are basically ticked off at Rand for not joining their idolatry. They're, um, you know, some some Republicans and so-called conservatives have called us Putin puppets. Well, they're Hunter Biden's B-I-T-C-H's, if you get what I mean. I mean, the connection between Metabiota, EcoHealth Alliance, DOD, gain-of-function research, and corruption in Ukraine, and Hunter Biden, it's grown based on, on the emails on his laptop that have been discovered by National Pulse and Daily UK Daily Mail. I might talk about that tomorrow. But basically, here's what they say. The idiosyncratic GOP senator is undermining his own party's message by single-handedly delaying a revocation of normal trade relations with Russia, thereby slowing efforts to further incapacitate Russia's economy. It's not incapacitating them. It's incapacitating our economy, but whatever. Paul is refusing to allow a quick vote on the bill absent a deal to narrow presidential power to enact sanctions. 
an ass that leaders in both parties have spurned. And he's done this many times. Paul is not budging under growing bipartisan pressure. Somebody ought to read the bills, don't you think? Paul said in a brief interview. Most of this is symbolic. And they talk about, you know, Paul and everything, what he's done. And they then they quote other Republicans trash again. Senate Minority Whip, John Thune, throwing up his hands when asked if there was anything GOP leaders could do to move him. Senator Joni Ernst, the jerk from Iowa, who recently traveled to Poland, said Paul has the right to do it, but it's not helpful to the party's message. Senator Wickerbasket from Mississippi, it's what we've come to expect from him. You know, it's truly disgusting. It's just truly d- disgusting. They quote Crapo, the Idaho jerk. They're all, they're all a bunch of leftists. They literally don't care about us. You know, I always said, here's the irony. You put one of these Republicans in front of a traditional Democrat voter, but somewhat gettable. They won't even look at the guy because they don't want to vote Republican. So we get the liabilities of these people, but not the benefit. Whereas if you had a fresh face that ran on actually what is causing the inflation, on the crime, on the border, on medical freedom, no labels, these people are eminently gettable. You pull these issues, most people agree with us. Republicans don't care about any of this. This whole thing is truly disgusting. And again, you look at the Democrats. When they have control of a state, man, the contrast to Idaho is unbelievable. A lot of the medical freedom doctors are putting out a warning of 10 bills that they're pushing in California. And again, what they're pushing is just the tip of the spear because... The reality is, as you well know, most of these things are never enacted in legislation. They use that as a messaging tool of what they're going to do executively by administrative fiat. AB 1993 requires proof of COVID vaccination for all employees and independent contractors working in California. AB 1797 creates an immunization tracking system, giving all government agencies complete access to vaccination records of all citizens. SB 1184 authorizes school health personnel to disclose children's health information to a third party without parental consent. SB 1390 prohibits any person from making statements the government deems misleading or any ads. SB 1479 requires schools to create long-term testing plans, test children without parental consent. SB 1464 requires law enforcement to enforce all public health guidelines or lose their funding. SB 920 authorizes medical boards to inspect the doctor's office and medical records without patient's consent. SB 866 lowers the age of COVID vaccine consent to 12 without parental notification. AB 2098 classifies any medical opinion that runs contrary to the establishment's COVID narrative as misinformation, subjects physicians expressing such views to charge of unprofessional conduct. Um, Folks, we should have bills in place in these other states to criminalize this and make sure it doesn't happen. But this is happening on some level in areas in all states. 
But that's the thing. These are all winning issues. They actually really speak to classical liberal sentiments. This is the thing Republicans think, oh my gosh, it's a losing issue to allow people to have life-saving treatment or not to discriminate. Like they think anti-grooming bills are losing issues. Again, that Florida bill, they won't touch anywhere with a 10-foot pole. All these states. In Utah, the governor vetoed the female sports bill, although the legislature did override his veto, so it did become law. And again, these are very modest bills. You know my view on that, that the whole thing has become about fairness in sports, not about fighting licentious, decivilization, gender-bending they just pick it, you know, they just make it about fairness in female sports, like the female sports issue. It's not a female sports issue. That's one of the many ramifications of the gender bending, decivilization, licentious, Canaanite agenda. But it's cultural Marxism that needs to be fought at a cultural values level. It's not kind of a technicality of fa- fairness in sports. But that's the only way these stupid Republicans even feel comfortable broaching the issue. And then you have. Red state governors that don't even feel comfortable with that. Again, you, 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 you pull the average person. I don't mean your Democrat voter that literally watches MSNBC every second. And yeah, I mean, that's the 25%, 30% you're never going to get. But I'd say from like 30 to 50, the 50-yard line is, is, is the you know, middle of American politics. Kind of that, that zone, very gettable. Very gettable on our issues. But our issues are unfortunately not the GOP leadership's issues. But I do want to share some good news and bring on our guest coming up. So we've been talking a lot today about the Republican Party and how really on a state level, federal level, uh, not only are they not focused on our issues, they're not focused on the terrible medical tyranny we have in this country that still has not gone away. If anything, it's intensified in many ways. They actually focus on the other side's issues, and they feel that Biden's not being enough focused on Ukraine, and they want to do more. They want to spend more money on that. And it's hard to find good victories. But, you know, we do need to spotlight some of the areas where we are making some progress and where brave legislators or governors stand up uh, to the establishment and accomplish things. You might have seen last week in the state of Kansas, uh, one state senator sponsored a bill not only making it clear that medical boards cannot punish doctors for prescribing off-label, but that pharmacists must fill such a prescription. And this is a bill I've been pushing in many states, and honestly, it's very, very difficult to get it passed, but we do have one state where we now have it passed in Kansas. So with no further ado, I want to bring on the sponsor, uh, Dr. Mark Steffen, who is a state senator from the Hutchinson area in Kansas. He's a licensed anesthesiologist, And he successfully got this bill, HB 2280, passed both houses. We're waiting for the governor's decision there. Uh, Dr. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, it's my honor. I appreciate you having me. Well, it's not every day where we succeed in a battle on medical freedom. I want to start from the beginning before the legislation. Um, 
this is very personal to you, obviously, because you're one of the legislators who is a doctor and you were helping uh, people through the virus. Could you describe a little bit what your experience was, what type of patients were coming to you, what you did about it, and then the adversity you were met with by the state medical board? Well, between last session and this session, you know, we had a real peak in, in, in corona cases, and it just became more and more obvious that mainstream medicine was abdicating their responsibilities and just saying, go home till you're closer to death and then go to the hospitals. Yeah. And that's just not a tenable approach to this. And so I've been battling this from day one, clear back into 2020. But, you know, when people call me and, and, and what help, it's my responsibility as a human being and, and as a physician to respond. And, and so I was routinely prescribing ivermectin and was doing so quite successfully. But then pretty soon in the Reno County area, edicts were coming down through the the big chain pharmacies in particular <clears throat> saying that their pharmacists could not prescribe ivermectin in particular and uh so i would i would call in i'd have i'd have a sick patient i'd call in a, a valid prescription and then i'd get a call back saying they wouldn't fill it and uh man that was that then it became a full-out war you know i i i take pride and I never yelled at any of these pharmacists. I never cussed at any of these pharmacists, but I made them all cry because this is about patients' lives. This is about preventing suffering and death. And to, to, to be a, a weak need physician or a weak need uh, pharmacist who, who doesn't have the fortitude to help people is, is beyond my belief. And, and it just got tighter and tighter and tighter through the summer and into the fall, getting ivermectin into people's hands. It, it was, it was, it just amazed me that doctors and pharmacists would allow people to suffer and die, and they did. I had multiple reports of that happening. One, it happened to one of my patients. So, it's a, it was, a, it's a brutal deal, and I, I continue to struggle to understand the, the could, reasoning behind it. Could you it. describe that case, that progression? We, we all know that. Um, as the cytokine storm kicks in, you know, days five to seven, especially with whatever that Delta wave was last year, um, you know, that's really when it goes into high gear. You had the microclotting, the pulmonary inflammation, and time is really of the essence. Could you describe some of the runarounds you had to make with patients where, you know, typically you just call it in, boom, you get it into them, and, you know, hopefully within 12 hours or so you see an improvement um, how were the pharmacists literally killing people by blocking these prescriptions? Well, you're, you're 100% right. Time is absolutely of the essence. And I'll deviate for just a second. One of the things we have clearly established in the state of Kansas, that the standard of care is early treatment. It's not saying go back home. And, and then one of the other issues we ran into or I ran into with patients is They'd go to the doctor and, and they'd be prescribed monoclonal antibodies. Well, that'd invariably be on a Friday, and they'd schedule them to get the monoclonal antibodies on a Monday. <laughs> and and, and I, heard, so I saw that over and over and over, and, and it was just this complete lack of understanding. But, yes, I simplify it. I call it early, early middle, and late. You know, and, the, and, and it's like a fire. It's just like a fire. 
you know, you if you if you just got a fire that's barely getting started started, and you throw a bucket of water on it, you're going to put it out, and and that's what early treatment is all about. And yeah, you know, you call in. You know, a lot of times people 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 invariably deny the fact that they have this virus for a few days. And then, so you're already kind of late to the party by the time they call you and you, you get to see them and talk to them and, and educate them. So, you know, you're already a little late in the game when you call the prescription in. And so when the pharmacist denies it, you know, then you're scrambling trying to find a, 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 a pharmacy now that will fill it. And that became harder and harder. That added to the delays and more delays. And some patients even gave up on, on trying to find it. And those people, you know, I'm walking through the halls of the Capitol here in Topeka. I've had multiple representatives tell me about friends and family who never did get it and progressed to hospitalization and such. So you're incredibly right. This is all about timing. And again, what we imprinted have imprinted on this state is that early treatment is the standard of care. No early treatment is malpractice. It's malpractice, exactly. And I just wanted to describe before we get to the medical board and the legislation, um, you're an anesthesiologist. You've practiced for many years. So obviously, relative to other specialists you really would obviously use very hardcore heavy duty drugs um could you describe throughout your career have you ever had issues prescribing drugs and compare some of those relative to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin yeah no i absolutely have not ever had problems and 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 i I would challenge anybody to find a doctor who has ever had problems before COVID. <laughs> In fact, we had a 40-plus year pharmacist come testify on behalf of, uh, of, our, of our 2280 bill and said that, that she, she had never seen an off-label prescription denied in her 40-plus years until ivermectin and, and the, the virus response came along. So, so no, this is, this is just one of a handful of absolute aberrancies that developed in the middle of this virus response. So I can't think of a greater emergency. We destroyed the entire world for this virus. We pulled our hair out. We had no treatment to this day. Nothing works. The vaccines, clearly. I mean, I've personally gotten treatment for so many that got three shots. Didn't work for them. They needed treatment. So it's not like we have alternatives. I'm not exactly seeing Paxlovid and Molnupiravir um, do anything. I'm not hearing any stories about that. So that's kind of interesting. It's not like we really have to this day good treatment. You would think this would be an emergency in every Republican-controlled legislature. But frankly, you know, most we can't get anything. Some we have weak bills. So describe HB 2280 and how you got it across. But also, if you could first go into your personal situation. So you were met with resistance by the pharmacist. When did the medical board start going after you? Well, the medical board started coming out after me way back at the very start of this. I understood the how we were getting off on the wrong foot and, and it only escalated from there. And, you know, as a Christ follower and, and a, as a person who pursues the truth, you know, I just met it, you know, right in the face and started uh, uh, battling this from start. And I, you know, when I came out against masks, when I came out 
in favor of hydroxychloroquine when I came out in favor of trying anything basic and simple uh, to, 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 to prepare oneself to, to undergo, to survive this virus, you know, I met resistance and, and I was turned into the board by a journalist, the board of healing arts by a journalist who then wrote an article bragging about turning me in. <laughs> and uh, the way our board works, you know, they they were happy to immediately instig- start an investigation. And I've had multiple cl- complaints now, of which I, I stand by everything I've ever said and ever done. And uh, just very recently, I, w- I was turned in for prescribing. Actually, I was turned in by another doctor who heard me say I had prescribed ivermectin well i proudly tell people that i've I've prescribed ivermectin and still will it's still my drug of choice both prophylactically and for early treatment when you when you run it side by side by the pfizer uh, antiviral i still think ivermectin is a person's best choice so you know they've been digging at me from the very start your biggest issue in all this is 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 the lobbyists. You know, the, our Kansas Hospital Association, our Kansas Medical Society, they're all on board perpetuating and 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 creating this propaganda. And you know, they're they're deep pockets. They control a lot of uh, campaign donations, yeah. and and uh, and a lot of politicians are are puppets that are that their strings are pulled by by those who control the campaign donations. And I'll guarantee you that's what's kind of shut things down in other states. I'll guarantee you. So in your state, you know, you you battled them. Um, you got this HB 2280 passed. It passed 2116 in the Senate. Obviously, you have 29 Republicans, so you did lose a number of them. But there's enough of a margin. You're still able to get it passed. It passed the House. Um, how did the hearings go uh, it, obviously, you're a doctor, so it helped that you were the sponsor of the bill. In other states, we have doctors opposing it and non-doctors supporting it, so you know they could play that card. But could you describe right. for the audience why your your bill is an outpatient bill? You know, we've we've pushed other bills to try to get right to try in the hospitals, and I think that's important too. But this was outpatient. Why would the hospitals oppose that? Wouldn't they want to alleviate the pressure on the hospitals? Well, that's certainly the trillion-dollar question, <laughs> and, and I don't completely understand that. You know, this transcends um, all sense. You know, I say it's the perfect storm of fear, greed, politics, and stupidity, and I, I stand by that statement. But, uh, you know, our hearing on uh, HB 2280 in the Senate is particularly noteworthy. We had 400 proponent testimonies which is an absolute Guinness Book of World Records for any bill heard, at least in the Kansas Senate, I'll bet anywhere. We literally had 400 Mm. people send in written testimonies. We had all the the oral testimonies we wanted. People are passionate. We have an incredible – we have multiple grassroots organizations in Kansas that – have answered the call and are you know desperate for to, for preservation of individual rights and for preservation of medical rights and and so you know this thing was this thing was overwhelming when it was heard in the Senate we had lots of doctors there we had them there in white coats we had them there in scrubs and and uh, there was cheering and yelling and screaming and 
there was a lot of emotion and passion in that room. And, and, and we have a very good conservative uh, Senate Public Health Committee. And, and this they came out of our Public Health Committee very, very easily. And it was thanks to, to the grassroots, the groundswell uh, of support. But that what tamps down the grassroots is the, is the special interest groups. And, you know, it's it's right now you get inside the Capitol. And I still think the lobbyist groups win that. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, to, I'm picturing the ultimate battle of David and Goliath. You have, you know, basic just citizens that not just support something because in the abstract they feel it aligns with their values, but because their lives and the lives of their loved ones were saved by this. They, they give testimony to it. So then what's the other side? The hospital medical cartel comes in and says, no, it's not like anyone's forcing them to get ivermectin like they are with the shots and like they do with remdesivir in the hospital. Um, it's purely optional. You don't like it, don't take it. What What was their argument? Well, and, and they ran it through the Kansas Medical Society. And the the, the, the head person of that organization stood up and just said, oh, you know, it's not needed. This isn't needed. And, and we, we, we wouldn't dare handcuff the Board of Healing Arts like this. You know, we don't ever want to, to, to get in their way of, of policing good quality care. And, and the pharmacist came, came on late and amazingly to me tried to make the case that this was about them. This was about their right to, to refuse to fill prescriptions. <laughs> and it was like, are you kidding me? You, you really expect me to care more about your, your, your ego yep. than, than, than preventing suffering and death. And, and that finally calmed down as we, we did make some tweaks in the bill to, to make sure that the pharmacists still have the responsibility to verify, validate, and authenticate the prescription, but they cannot refuse to fill it solely based on a a known or assumed diagnosis of COVID, and they finally came down, which, which you know, I was I was glad because they were just making themselves look like the most egotistical entity on the face of the earth. They, I found them embarrassing. It, it really is. It's disgusting. I mean, it's just it's yeah. just totally indefensible. Uh, because, again, they're the ones forcing their choices on other people. Nobody is forcing them to take this, um, and it's not like they have other options. So could you give us a broad look of what other things you've been pushing, some of the things that you feel you've successfully gotten through with the mandates, things that you haven't successfully gotten through? I want people to get a sense of a supermajority Republican state. It is a little quirky because you do have a Democrat governor, but that kind of cuts both ways. Um, so where do things stand on some of the medical freedom legislation? Well, and, and that, that is a great question. And, and just quickly, it kind of goes back to, to philosophy. You know, is your philosophy that you want the government to control you or do you, do you want to control the government? And, and really, when we came in at the start of the last year's session, well, I brought in a very, very foreign philosophy, and that was with an infection like this that the government's responsibility was to educate and recommend only, not mandate, not quarantine, not imprison people. 
And, and so, you know, I've spent two years now kind of educating people as to, the, to, the, to that new philosophy. And we actually moved that through a Senate bill, 489, and that you know we we remove the powers of mandating particularly quarantines from away from the secretary of health and environment away from the local health officers and we gave them the task of educating people and making recommendations to people because they're number one they're unelected officials number two that's government's role you know you you not in a democracy you don't have people making those kind of mandates. And so we did get that bill passed out of, of, the, of the Senate. Uh, we'll see how it, how it does in the House. It's actually going to be heard on the House floor today. Uh, we, you know, we have another bill that kind of came out of judiciary that's, that says no governmental entity can mandate masks, period. Mm. And, and I got them on the floor to uh, define governmental entity in its broadest sense, meaning governor, county commissioners, uh, school boards, school board members, superintendents, anybody. So you know, we're on the on the cusps on the cusp of doing away with mask mandates in the state of Kansas. So you know we've we've got some great conservative minds here. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of rhinos, and we've got too many liberals. <laughs> So, so I, I was going to ask you this, an interesting proposition. I want to know if I'm exaggerating this. So I've noticed a lot of states in the Great Prairie, the, you know, the Prairie area, Great Rocky Mountain area, um, Idaho, Wyoming. We talked a lot about Idaho, where you have, you know, super majorities, often four to one GOP majorities in the legislature. You have a Republican governor and we can't get anything done because the we, we're a minority of the majority. And, you know, on the one hand, they are Republicans, but on the other hand, they're really not. But the people think they're Republicans, so they don't face opposition and they kind of do what they want, which is never a good thing. Whereas in your state, you're really the only supermajority Republican state. I guess Kentucky would probably be the other one. But generally speaking, it's a rare anomaly. You have a Democrat governor and it almost seems like she's a little bit more reluctant to oppose some of this than even some of the Republicans because she knows she's on a short leash. So is that sentiment true? And do you think that she might sign some of these bills? Well, that's a great assessment on your part. And, and I certainly want them all on her desk. I want to find out, you know, you're a hundred percent, right? No, she has not tricked anybody into thinking she's a conservative. And so, you know, she's got a very, very small base. So her, her decision-making on these bills is, do I appeal to my small base or do I try to expand my base by passing some of these bills? Now, she's given us every indication in other bills that she's trying to appear to be much more middle-of-the-road, even conservative. Uh, and so, you know, I want these bills on her desk so she uh, clearly defines who she is coming into this election. I suspect she'll pass some of these. I suspect she'll pass this wow. HB 2280 if it makes her desk because of multiple reasons I won't get into now. But, you know, she cannot afford to to uh, to to aggravate 75% of the population to try to appease 25%. Mm. If, if she does, it's, it's going to be 
to her uh, demise. And you're right. You know, our big task, our big task, and when I when I'm not talking about this stupid virus, what I'm talking about is how to identify a rhino. You know, I am. I love to hunt big game. I'm a big bow hunter. But <laughs> this rhino is spelled R-I-N-O. We've got to teach the populace how to recognize a rhino. And it's, it's very simple, you know, at, at 30,000 feet. If, if, if they're a candidate who, who is always talking about every, all the committees they've served on and all the things <laughs> they've done before and never talk about what they believe in, they're a rhino. And, and, and then, you know, then we got to empower people in our part of the, of the world here in the heartland. We don't like to be confrontational. And so we don't like to look somebody in the eye and say, are you for abortion or are you against it? But and I'm, I'm encouraging people to get over that. You know, we need to ask the hard questions. We have to teach the grassroots how to identify a rhino from a from a good Republican. We're not in, in Kansas. You, we really don't need the word conservative because you look up the Kansas Republican Party platform read the 12 basic tenets, and that's a conservative. So either in Kansas you're a Republican or you're a fraud. It's that simple. Exactly, but I sense there's a lot of complacence among the people in Kansas and similar states where they they know they don't like the Biden administration, they know they don't like that, but most people will run as a Republican whether they really are or not. They're they're really leftists a lot a lot of times. And it's just they find a way of um, of playing games. Is there a need to break away from that brand there? So, in other words, for governor, you know, you would think uh, this would be the biggest pickup opportunity, right? It's probably the reddest state this cycle, represented by a Democrat for governor. Uh, wouldn't you obviously have someone who could easily defeat her and represent your values? And if not. Is there a chance someone will maybe run as an independent? Uh, well, I'd say yes to all of the above there, or I'd say all that. I'll take D, selection D, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think uh, there's lots of states that uh, a, a, a strong, charismatic, grassroots candidate that had access to some, some reasonable funding could make a lot of hay. I, I do. And oh, absolutely! Here in Kansas, if if a if an independent runs, uh, we're going to have another four years of a Democrat governor. That's what will happen here, and I think everybody knows that. That's the, I think that's the worst kept secret in in politics in Kansas. Interesting. Well, you know. At least you're doing your job in the state Senate. Who knows if we'll ever have a legitimate Republican candidate to represent those values, but we know you'll be fighting for us there in the Senate. Thank you so much for your update, and and please keep us abreast to you know what else is going on. These bills, we'll definitely get them before people, and you know we're trying to create these strike force teams where people could get involved in the legislatures, understand who's who, like you said, disentangling the rhinos from the real people and, and get them to support the proper legislation. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and I'll look forward to staying in touch. Take care. Sure. God bless. So, folks, again, that was Dr. Mark Steffen, state senator from central Kansas. A very interesting perspective. I mean, there he 
actually helps control the healthcare committee. So it's actually a good committee, which in most states is bad. Um, so he does have some successes. But even then, I mean, you see, he does have kind of the problem that Idaho has where everyone's a Republican, but all the Democrats run as Republicans. <laughs> but it boils down to one thing. It was very interesting. He said, what is the difference between a rhino and a non-rhino? It's all about special interests. It's not everyone thinks, oh, you're conservative, you're more conservative. Like I said, those terms are really nebulous. It's those who think the system is awesome and those who know it's corrupt. And at the end of the day, most Republican elected officials, it all gets back to the money and the special interests, Chamber of Commerce, the industries, um, the hospital associations. Those are the ones that run everything. The people don't matter. I thought that was very profound. 400 people testifying, life-saving treatment. And the hospital was like, screw that. We don't want that. When you would think, well, why would you oppose outpatient treatment? Again, this wasn't even telling the hospitals what to do in the hospital. Because they are corrupt and they're willing to have people die for their corruption. And I thought that was also interesting with the Democrat governor. She's actually, because she's on a short leash and knows that in a very bad year for Democrats, it's going to be hard to hold that governorship, she's willing to go along with things. We kind of have a hostage. Whereas in these other states, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we educate people on primaries, but I could tell you no one cares. No one's focused on them. Which is why I think you just need to get out of this entire thing and run in the general as an indie. Going to start developing that over time. By the way, just one other thing I wanted to share with you. Well, actually, two things before we call it a day. Um, number one, so again, I have confirmed I will be going out to the next Patriot Academy defensive handgun training in Raton, New Mexico on May 22nd. It's a five-day training. Um, this is the funnest training you will ever find. Um it, it's drawing from the holster. It's clearing malfunctions. You know who you are. A lot of you guys that have been owning guns forever, even carry guns, and you don't really know how to properly win a gunfight. You were never trained how to properly uh, draw from a holster. It is well worth your time, especially if you guys are retired. Um, it's a great vacation opportunity. Beautiful country there in northeast New Mexico. It's at the Whittington NRA Center. Uh, they rent out their area that is Patriot Academy. The easiest way to find out the details, it's about $100 a day, um, still about 70 80% off the typical cost of, of such training, very rigorous training. The easiest way is to just type into your browser, Patriot Academy Constitutional Defense Course. Um, I'm, I'm making my ticket today. Look, hopefully the mass mandate will be gone by then, but... It's the best way to meet me, other members of this audience. It, the camaraderie is great. The salt of the earth Americans will be out there, and it really is the most useful, fun training. Uh, and and you could bring your kids too. A lot of a lot of people bring their teenage kids, um, especially if you have a kid in college. Most colleges are over by then, so that's a good time to get a head start in an early summer vacation. Um, those of you who are in Colorado, Texas, you're much closer than our previous venue in Nevada. So I look forward to seeing you guys there. 
Um, another, just one story we're talking about early treatment. Do you know that now we have it confirmed? I mean, we had it confirmed before, but a study from George Washington University found that aspirin is effective for moderate illness in the first few days in the hospital. Think about this. Something as simple as an aspirin not only works early treatment, but even mid-level, early stages of hospitalization. They studied 100,000 COVID patients and found those given aspirin had a 15% lower risk of dying within 28 days. Patients were in their early 60s. Around 15,000 were given aspirin, while the remaining 96,000 had normal hospital care. It's a huge sample size. Those who got the painkiller had a 29% reduced risk of blood clots. Um, patients who appeared to benefit the most include patients older, 60, older than 60 and those with comorbidities. The study found it was published in JAMA. So now it's okay to do this. Okay? Included 112,000 patients. So, a couple things I want to mention. The overall mortality risk sounds kind of low. You know, 15% reduction. But look, I mean, 15% of a million deaths is 150,000 people. But moreover... This is as simple as aspirin. So you don't need a hospital. The starting point was they were already hospitalized. Imagine if you would have given the aspirin early on. Outpatient. First few months into COVID, I thought I had it. You know, I didn't know any better. I, I didn't have it, but I thought I had it. First thing I did, I never have aspirin in my house. I only have Advil. I went out, went out and got aspirin, took an aspirin. Another interesting thing is they used 81 milligrams. That's that's a baby aspirin. Okay, not the whatever, 300 or so milligrams. So I would imagine that would have made a huge difference. They said they reduced blood clotting by 29%. I would imagine if you would have had the real dose, you could probably would have been well over 50. Okay? Um... So, that's a huge deal. This is a giveaway, a freebie. Something that simple that we knew about two years ago. Finally, they publish it. And again, what I'm telling you is higher dose earlier on would have been much bigger. And again, that's just one thing. What if you have the aspirin with ivermectin and hydroxy and um, phenofibrate and uh, pepsid and do the nasal spray? And have your vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc up, your Z-stack with, with Dr. Zelenko. You put that together then, and you do it early, and you get people's levels up, that starts creeping up close to 100%. Genocide, utter genocide. It's disgusting what we've gone through. But we are out of time. We're going to have some special guests on throughout the week. Uh, send me your comments, questions, concerns. D. Horowitz at blazemedia.com or Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. If you have any questions on our uh, defensive handgun training out in uh, 
New Mexico on the 22nd of May. You could email me as well with your questions. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.